everybody. Thank you for coming. Um, I'll Robert introduce our speaker here in just a second. Uh, Chris, if you don't know me, uh, again, thank you for coming. And I was asked to tell you that this, if you'd like to join the group, they're going to go over to, what'd you say the name of the place was? Ed's Tavern for um, food and trivia at 8. And uh, that's, if you've been over to Indonesia's with us in the past, it's in the same shopping center, but on the other side of the, the parking lot. So, um, we will have some additional events later this month. We'll post those in uh, Ruben, and uh, let's introduce our speaker. Hi, guys. Thanks for all for coming. Uh, my name is Robert. Um, the speaker that we have tonight is, uh, is Alan Peter. He's actually my father. Um, so he's going to be giving a talk on spiritual combat. Thank you, Robert. Is the mic on? Can y'all hear me real well, or am I just really echoing in this? All right, that's awesome. So uh, the first step in spiritual combat is entering into the fight. And you guys are sitting way far back. So can y'all come a little closer? You can still keep your social distance if you want, but I don't want to feel like y'all are way back there. And it kind of shows in a very physical way that we're willing to step forward and enter the fight. Thank you. That's awesome. All right. Because otherwise, I'm going to walk all the way to the back. That's kind of how I am. So, Robert's my oldest son, but I have nine children, which I, I hear is not a very odd occurrence here in the Diocese of Charlotte. Uh, it was where we were from, so the spiritual combat and uh, all that was very relevant to us. So, I'm going to begin by uh, prayer. Because what a better way to begin this. Now, we did just finish some time in adoration to God, but I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come down upon me and give me the words that each of you need to hear and maybe that I need to say. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. So when you think of spiritual combat, do you ladies like that term? Spiritual combat? I mean, there's some ladies here. I am telling Robert, I said, this is really a guy talk, isn't it? Spiritual combat. How, how does it hit y'all? I'm, I'm an interactive kind of guy, so any, any ladies want to say what you think about when you think of spiritual combat? Physical, okay. Any others? Combat sounds physical, doesn't it? Right, no other ladies, okay? Guys, what do y'all think about when you think about combat? Spiritual combat, specifically. Give me an example. Give me an example of combat you've seen in the spiritual realm. Long day at work? Nobody... The shining. <laughs> yeah, that was a scary one too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so an exorcism. That, that's a good example of it. Who here has been a part of an exorcism? Who here has been possessed? Anyone? No? Maybe, maybe demonically oppressed? Anybody? No? See? 
So maybe that, that's not the most common one. Right? Anybody else have an idea? Give me a practical example, ladies, guys, I don't care, of a spiritual combat that we may, that may have already been present to us. Yeah. What? Fighting temptation. Good example. I heard some. Making choices not to believe the lies of the devil. Okay, so it's a temptation. Would everybody agree that it's a temptation to follow the lies of the devil? Do you recognize them all the time? The lies of the devil, that is? What are some of the most common ones today? Give me some examples. I'm just setting you all up for, you know, giving you advice, right? I've been at this a little bit. Yes? A what? A man can be a woman. Is that a temptation you have? No. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he put it out there. All right. I'm sure, because if it was, I was going to you know, scale it back a little bit. Anybody else? Another temptation for you personally, maybe. Or somebody that you know well. Okay, we'll go with that. Doesn't have to be you personally. What are some temptations out there that you're fighting? Or someone you know and love closely is fighting? A what? Yeah. Confession is a waste of time. Okay. That's a temptation, sure. I mean, confession is not very utilized, one of the least used sacraments in the church. So maybe we'll take that one a step further and say the idea that um, I don't need to confess at all. Right? That, um, That what's the use? We're all going to heaven anyway. Right? There is no hell. Right, that's a temptation, potentially. Right? What are some others? Because if we're going to fight in a battle, <laughs> you have to know your enemy. How do you how do you engage in combat unless you know who you're fighting? Are we fighting? Um, are you fighting your neighbor? I mean, any of you guys? You think you're fighting your neighbor? What What about the uh, the drug dealer or the murderer in prison? Are, are they your enemy? Anybody think they are? Put your hand up. Is that person your enemy? Is, uh, no? Okay, good. Good. Um, so who is, our, who is our enemy? Who are we fighting? Anything that brings us away from God. But he has a name. I mean, really. Who, who are we fighting? Yeah, the influence of the devil. But we're really fighting ourselves. Right. Where, where does that spiritual combat really hit home? Can you control anyone else? Yeah. So if you have, I say, I'm surprised nobody said abortion, right, is one of the spiritual combats we're, we're, we're battling because we have lots of good pro-life stuff that happens here in this diocese. But our enemy is not the woman down at the abortion clinic. It's not even the doctor at the abortion clinic. It's, it's sin. And each of us is prone to sin. Each of us are sinners. And so the spiritual combat is actually with ourselves. Anybody get that? About how it's us? 
right? Because you don't know the sins of others. You don't know their stories and their history. So your battle's really not with someone else, even though someone else may push your button that causes you to drift away from the Lord. They're, they're not really the problem because if you were prepared for the battle, there would be no temptation for you to walk away from him and choose something else. So now that we've defined who our battle is with, and it really is with ourselves um, in, in many, many ways, um, let us talk about some prerequisites to being ready to fight. And if you've already heard this, just stop me and say, this is not, you know, this class, right? We've all got this, and we're ready to go on to something more exciting. So the first prerequisite is, and I, I say this now, you know, the year 2020, I heard somebody give a, a prophetic word, and they said, 2020 is going to be the, the year of clearer vision. And I thought, that was a little teasing, right? 2020, you get it. And... Uh, but I, but I realized that she was absolutely right because she gave that, that, that word in, uh, in January of 2020. And then only a few weeks later, we could see with clearer vision where our own priorities were, where the priorities of our neighbors were, where the priorities of our pastor, our bishop, diocese were, president, whatever, whoever. We could see who was at the center? So I like to give this, um, so the, the point of this is, who is sitting in the center chair of your life? Right? We have, when we look at our lives, as we have these chairs all around us, and there's one chair in the middle. And something, somebody sits in that middle chair. And that is the chair that is the top priority in our lives. It is the thing that if everything else is stripped away from us, we will hold on to that thing, that person in the middle chair, no matter what. Everything else is expendable. And so when I do RCA talks or talk about faith formation, I say, who's sitting in the middle chair? Or where is Jesus? Is Jesus outside the, the circle of chairs? Is he one of the, is he occupying one of the chairs in the circle? Or is he in the middle? And if you're honest with yourself, you can start to put Jesus in the middle. Because for many people, he's not even one of your priorities. For most of us, probably the people here, Jesus is in one of those chairs. But is he at the middle? Or is something like uh, money at the center? Is health at the center? Is uh, the respect of others? Is, uh, I mean, you can just come up with all the things that you are really attached to that when push comes to shove, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm going to protect that, that, that thing. That's the piece that's at the middle. That's the one that is the primary thing in your life. That is the Lord of your life, is whatever is sitting there in that middle chair. And if it's not the Lord, come up with a plan to put him there so that no matter what else you lose, the only thing that you will absolutely not, not give up is that relationship with the Lord. So that is the first step. Putting Jesus at the center of your life. The next one is having a healthy prayer life. Right? Who here thinks they have the perfect prayer life? Any hand? OK, 
Okay, is it perfect for you? Maybe. All right. So, have you guys ever heard of the like a, a foolproof method to have a perfect prayer life, or at least improve your prayer life? Have I heard of that? So you pick three things. You decide on a time to pray, because if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. So pick a time that you are going to pray each day. Pick a place. Because place makes a difference. If you're in a place that's not very peaceful, it's going to be hard to pray, harder to pray. And pick a duration. If you don't pray at all, pick five minutes. Gradually work up to the desired time that you want. Time, place, and duration. Commit to it. If you don't schedule it, it probably won't happen. For me, if I don't do it first thing in the morning, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'll do it at the end of the day before I go to bed and I fall asleep. I'm too tired. It becomes less of a priority. So prayer life is your conduit to God. Because without him, you really can't do anything. One of the keys of the spiritual battle, since the battle is with yourself, is you have to learn to distrust yourself. And trust fully in the Lord. And you can't do that unless Jesus is the Lord of your life. And you have a good amount of time you're spending in conversation with. Sacramental life is very important, too. These are, these are prerequisites to engaging in a spiritual battle. Confession, Sunday Mass. You've got to do those things. You've got to stay close to the church. The sacraments are avenues of grace to each of us. All right. So now that we've at least established the prerequisites to being able to engage in the spiritual battle... Does anybody here find it easier to do something good or bad by yourself or with people? Right, so look, you guys are a community, right? You're a community of young people. And uh, do you find it easier to do something together as a group or to uh, do something on your own? I tell a story that when we were growing up, when I was young and just married, we, we ended up having our three kids, and we met this other family that uh, actually had three kids as well. And just before he was born, um, you know, we, we each got pregnant with our fourth child. And where we were living in Austin, Texas, four children was way out of the norm. Even at our church, we had people... Um, Really, I, I, when we had the, when we got pregnant with our third one, they're like, oh, they really want a boy because our first three were girls. And then we had a girl, and people were like, oh, oh well, I guess you don't get your boy. And then we got pregnant a fourth time, and people are like, man, some people they really want a boy. And when Robert was born, people were in tears, giving us hugs, kisses, telling us, oh my gosh, it's so great, you finally got your boy, you can stop now. Now, that was the spiritual battle that we had back then, right? Was our own selfishness, our own desire to be accepted by this community. This was a Catholic church that we were a part of. Do we stop having children because everybody's really told us that, you know, having more than two, especially if you get a boy and girl in the first two, that's really all you're supposed to have, right? It was somewhat heroic. When I look back on it, it was somewhat heroic for us to do what we did, of continuing to be open to life. 
now I look at all nine of the kids and I go, well, you know, really they were way, way more of a blessing to me than, than, uh, than I could have ever, you know, it was not a selfish thing, right? It was, we just kept having children because we didn't have any reason not to. But it made it a whole lot easier because we had this other couple who continued to have kids like we did. We each have nine children now and we're like best family friends. But it made it a lot easier being on that journey with them. So we need community. We need maybe a spiritual director to help us to discern some of that. All right. So does anybody here have a spiritual director or an accountability partner that they call on? Okay. One? Well, okay. Do you find that to be helpful in your spiritual life? Why? You guys both raised your hand. They get to answer why. Why? Okay. And you? Obedience. That's a great, a great reason. Yeah. Just have somebody else tell you. Um, so I'll tell you one of the main reasons why having a uh, a spiritual director or a uh, an accountability partner. Uh, is because when you're struggling with something, they're not personally involved in that struggle. Typically not. And so if they give you advice, they're looking at it from a, a perspective outside of the emotions that you may be feeling and maybe your clouded judgment. So having a spiritual director is actually very good for, um, for engaging in difficult decisions and figuring out how to get past them. So, so let me talk about one more thing. So this is something that I find very interesting. Um, I, my wife and I started this course, uh, the School of Ministry, last year. And the first, so a School of Ministry is teaching you how to be a better Catholic, how to make, how to make better use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here use gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we should all, right? When did we receive gifts of the Holy Spirit? Baptism. All right, we got one here. Ba at baptism, right? I'm not going to ask you to give all the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that's what you did at confirmation. You had to answer the bishop, right? But, but uh, when using the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like healing or prophecy or words of knowledge or any of those types of things, uh, there's a danger that you'll, you'll get your identity from that because the Lord is working through you in a powerful way. There's a danger when you give a talk that somehow your identity is going to be on how the talk's received. Everybody kind of understand that, that your identity may come from the compliments you get at work or from uh, your peers when they say, oh, you're such a good Catholic. And you just go, yeah, uh, yeah, right? It's easy. That's why we can't trust ourselves in this spiritual battle because we crave the acceptance of others. So the first thing that they taught us in this uh, school of ministry was Know your identity. So can anybody tell me what your identity is? Where you get your identity from? What is, what is your identity as a, as a Catholic? Anyone? Anybody have an idea? No. So your identity is a beloved son or daughter of God. And that is enough. 
everything else goes away. If your boss hates you, if you lose your job, um, whatever struggles may come, it doesn't mean you're any less. Because by virtue of your baptism, you are a beloved son or daughter of God. But that's hard. That's hard, isn't it? Is it does anybody, anybody feel that? Do you feel that that is the most important thing in your life? That you're a beloved son or daughter of God? If you don't know your identity, if your identity comes from your work, if your identity comes from the male or female that, that you end up finding to marry, right, and their, their, their love of you, you will always be disappointed. Because no one's going to ever love you as perfectly as God. And you can't place some, someone in that position, right? Your kids, if you are blessed with them, right? Your friends, the approval of your friends, that's not where you get your identity from. It's not a popularity contest. Identity is critical in the, in the spiritual combat. Because when you're in a difficult situation, you're in a difficult battle. It's, it's a... Uh, you're battling whether or not you're going to commit this sin. Where's your identity come from? Because typically, sin is something that uh, is alluring. Right? When you think about the sins you've committed, were they enjoyable? Did you desire to do them? The answer is yes. I mean, otherwise you don't commit the sin. There was some benefit to you, perceived benefit. It was enjoyable that brought you some, some level of joy. So how do you resist that? You have to know who you are. You have to be comfortable with just being a beloved son or daughter of the Lord. If you're not comfortable with that, if you're not loving that fact more than anything else, you will fall into sin over and over and over again. Because something else was giving you your identity. You were pursuing something else, whether it was the acceptance of others, um, some type of a sensual good feeling. It could be anything. So really, the spiritual combat is very internal. It is hard because you have to change yourself. It's easy to change other people, comparatively speaking. You can easily see the faults of others, right? As Catholics, we find it, uh, I think there, there's a, a real danger for us as Catholics, that we have all of these good things we can do. We can come to adoration, we can go to daily mass, we can, uh, rosaries, we can do all of these things which we may think makes us good. Good Catholics. We may even, <laughs> this book I'm reading called The Spiritual Combat, it says little old ladies, the ones who come to church and go to daily mass every week, they're the ones who are in the greatest danger because they're doing all these things and they, they might get this inflated feeling about themselves. They might think that they're so good. It wasn't to talk about little old ladies, but little old men too. Um, 
It says, and there's such a danger in that. As soon as we start to think that we are good is when we really are very bad. Because there's only one good, and that is the Lord. And we have to rely on him for all of that. Because if we think that we, are, we have arrived in holiness, in our spirituality, that we can uh, combat and defeat any enemy at the gates, that is when we're going to be sorely disappointed. Because we really can't do anything on our own. We have to rely on the Lord to give us the strength and the power to defeat the enemy. And I say one sure way of, of knowing whether you've gotten to that point is that uh, when, you, uh, when you fall, right, when you commit a sin, do you get mad at yourself? Or do you just go, well, I failed again. I guess I should have relied on the Lord more. That's the attitude that we ought to have. When we fail, it's because we're weak. And if we are humble enough to acknowledge that, then we can turn and put our complete trust in the Lord God, who is strong enough to defeat everything. I mean, the apostles told it to him. Remember in Scripture, the, uh, Jesus said, um, what was it about? It was about marriage. He says, you know, I don't permit divorce. And he said, Lord, then how can anyone be saved? It was that or something with money. Uh, but he said, the, the apostle said, Lord, then how can anyone be saved? Because the people with wealth, they're the ones who, who are the most blessed by God. He says, for man, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. So when you start to look out over the landscape, I got one minute left. When you start looking out over the landscape and you see all of the battlefronts, because each of us are called to a different front to fight on. The Lord will tell us where. And we see all these different fronts and all these horrible things happening. And we're like, oh man, there is no way that, that I mean, I can go and, and do sidewalk counseling. I can, I, I can uh, get involved in politics and try to change that corrupt system. I can do all of these things. And you look at it and go, but, but I don't think I'm going to be successful. That's, that's an honest assessment of yourself. But if you rely on the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Do whatever you want me to do, but I'm not doing it by myself. In fact, I'm not even going to rely on the skills that I've attained in life. I'm going to rely solely upon you, Lord. You give me the strength. You give me the ability. You tell me what I, I should say. And the Lord said, don't worry about what you're to say. I will give you the words. When we really have that childlike trust in the Lord, we will be able to conquer whatever comes at us. And I never would have expected 2020 to have come at us when I was younger. Right? And there's going to be something even worse in the future. Maybe not worse for me, but worse for each of you. Something that's going to test you so much that you're like, there is no way I can do this. Lord, you do it. And I've made that prayer several times in my life, and the Lord has always said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Here. All right. So, I can't leave you with any better advice than that. If you surrender to the Lord, ask Him to fight your battles for you, to give you the strength to do it, He will show up 
and you will win that spiritual combat. Thank you. One minute in. Okay, so no questions, no nothing, right? You guys have any questions? Any specific? All right, there we go. Then I'll hand it off to whoever's doing the next thing. Yeah.